The sermon text for today is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. You can find this passage in the Blue Pew Bible on page 1787. Listen as I read God's word. Final exhortations. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Here ends the reading. Good morning, everyone. Glad to be with you here today. My name is John. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I get to serve as the lead pastor here at Elmwood. As we uh, get into the message today, I want to give you a heads up that we're going to be having a shorter message than usual today. And the reason for that, yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised people didn't break out in cheering and applauding. <laughs> Um, but we're going to have a shorter message than normal today because we have an important announcement to make. And so what we're going to do is we're going to leave about the last 15 minutes of the message portion of the gathering uh, to make that announcement. And I'm fully aware uh, that you're not going to be able to concentrate on probably anything I'm about to say because you're going to be sitting there wondering, well, what is this announcement that he's going to be making? So uh, I'm aware of that, but I don't want to just shock you when halfway through what you think a normal message is, we just kind of wind down and go into something different. So I want to just give you a heads up that that's what we're doing this morning. Um, so uh, with that, I want to invite you to uh, stand with me. As a church, we've been in a sermon series uh, called The Prosperous Life, looking at Psalm 1. And part of our goal during the series is to memorize this psalm together, all six verses of it. And part of how we want to do that is just by regularly through repetition. We get to uh, say this together over and over again these nine weeks. And so I want to invite you to join me as we uh, say these words from Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Amen, would you stay standing while we pray? God, this morning we ask that you would tune our minds and our hearts to what is in Psalm 1. 
Lord, as we think about meditating on your instruction day and night, we ask that you would give us insight into what that means, that you would teach us what that looks like in our daily lives. Lord, we ask that we would be continually shaped by the powerful working of your spirit to be people who delight in your instruction and who meditate on it day and night. God, increase our love for your law, for your instruction, and shape us more and more into the image of Christ. We pray this in his name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, in Psalm 1, what we have been observing over these last couple weeks is uh, this. I want to just give uh, something of a little bit of a recap of where we've been. Um, We started by looking at verse 1, obviously, which says, Blessed is the one, flourishing is the one, prosperous is the one, who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. And so Psalm 1 begins by sort of negatively telling us where this life of prosperity is not found, And we're told that true flourishing cannot be found ultimately in the company of those who reject God. True flourishing and abundance cannot be found by listening to, not just hearing, but listening to the voice of or following the path of those who do not love God or obey his instruction. So then last week what we saw was this, the flourishing person is the one who delights in the instruction of the Lord. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And here today we see blessed is the one, flourishing is the one who meditates on his law day and night. So the true flourishing cannot be found in the company of those who reject God. True flourishing, uh, the truly flourishing person is the one who delights in the instruction of the Lord. And sort of the big idea for this morning is that the flourishing person's mind is saturated with God's instruction. The person whose life is truly flourishing whether it may look like it externally or not, based on whatever characteristics of a flourishing life we may think, the flourishing person is the one whose mind is saturated with the instruction of the Lord. Now that word meditate, uh, that's sort of the key word here in uh, this part of verse two. So if you uh, are someone who writes in your Bible, you may want to underline, highlight, bracket, circle, whatever you want to do to sort of draw attention to that word. Uh, The word meditate very simply uh, just means to mull over something. To meditate means to be fixated on, to fix your mind on something, uh, to have your mind consumed by it. And in the original language, uh, the the words that translated here, meditate, is a word that quite literally means to mutter under your breath. The most helpful way that I've heard this put, uh, or, or sort of had this translated, is that meditating, what that is, is it's mentally rehearsing something over and over and over again. That's what it means to meditate, is to mentally rehearse something in your mind over and over and over again. And I think it's important for us to recognize that Psalm 1 is not telling us to do something we are not already doing all the time. We are constantly and continually mentally rehearsing things in our mind. So, for example, you may have a really hard conversation you need to have with someone. You may uh, need to have a disciplined conversation with a coworker or with Uh, an employee who works for you. You may need to have a really hard conversation with maybe your spouse or with a friend or with a child or with a parent maybe who's aging. And so what you do is you mentally rehearse what you're gonna say. You envision yourself sitting down with that person and you've got your cold open 
you know exactly how you're gonna start that conversation and you sort of anticipate, well, they're probably gonna ask this or they're gonna say this, and so you, you sort of go back and forth and you prepare for all the contingencies of what that conversation is gonna be like. In other words, you mentally rehearse it over and over again. Uh, maybe for you, you've got a problem to solve. Maybe uh, in, in your work, you have maybe a, uh, you're creating or you're reimagining a solution or a product or some kind of technology and you just can't quite figure it out and so what you do is you mull over it. You just sort of sit on it and you stew on it. Maybe you're uh, doing a house project or a, a project in your vehicle and you just feel like you're kind of stuck. You're not exactly sure what to do. You've watched YouTube videos, you can't quite figure it out and so you just sort of think on it a little bit and sort of hope that the answer comes to you. Uh, it may be that you are in trouble. You're in trouble. You have maybe screwed something up really bad. You have made a costly and avoidable mistake, maybe in your workplace. Uh, maybe you've broken something that's important to someone, and so what you do is you mentally rehearse yourself to death. You get your story straight, right? And you, you figure out, how can I communicate this in a way that makes me not look like a complete fool? Right? You mentally rehearse how you're going to communicate this, how you can put yourself in the best possible light and explain, maybe explain away what it is that, you're, uh, th that happened. So maybe you were in trouble. Maybe uh, you've gotten into an argument or had a conflict with someone. And after the fact, you just keep replaying the conversation in your head. And then after the fact, you think, man, I wish in the moment I would have thought because I should have said this or I could have said this. Or man, when I said this to them, I really socked it to them. You know, and so you just replay the conversation over and over in your mind. You mentally rehearse it. Maybe you've experienced some sort of abuse or trauma in your life, and you find yourself reliving those moments over and over again. Maybe you find yourself constantly through, uh, maybe there are circumstances, there are people, there are things that people say that sort of instantly transport you back there, and you relive those moments. And so maybe you've experienced some trauma or some abuse and you find yourself mentally rehearsing it over and over and over again. Now we could give dozens of more examples of how we do this, but the point is that every single one of us is constantly thinking about mentally rehearsing all kinds of things. So Psalm 1 is not saying you need to start mentally rehearsing things. What Psalm 1 is saying is that the flourishing person is the one who mentally rehearses the right things. The flourishing person is the one whose mind is consumed by thinking about a certain kind of thing. And we're told that the flourishing person is the one whose mind is saturated with the instruction of the Lord, who mentally rehearses, who plays over like a videotape over and over again in their mind. So what does this look like? What does it look like for us to be people who mentally rehearse the instruction of the Lord, who uh, meditate on it day and night? Well, I wanted to suggest that there's uh, maybe two different ways that this could look, sort of two primary ways. You could just put it in these buckets, and the first is this. Uh, what it means is that we devote specific time to meditating on God's instruction. Okay, it means that we, we spend specific time, devoted time, where we say, you know, I could think about this thing or that thing, or I could fill my mind with this form of entertainment, which, by the way, all the entertainment that we consume is a kind of mentally rehearsing just so you, you know that, because I think you do. We could think about these things, but instead I'm going to choose to block time to specifically meditate and think about the instruction of the Lord. Uh, and we do so because we delight in it. 
Okay, don't, don't forget that the, the prosperous person is the one who delights in God's instruction. So because we delight in his instruction, because we see that it's good for us and that it's God's love, a, a gift given to us, we desire to take time to think about it. And so what that means is that we set specific time, maybe for unhurried time with God in the Bible. Maybe we set aside specific time or, or ways that uh, maybe you as a family memorize portions of the Bible, memorize Bible verses. And so what it means is that we, we spend, uh, we devote specific time to actually meditating on God's instruction, to thinking about it, to learning it, to understanding it. And so that's one aspect of what this means. And of course, this looks uh, vastly different in different stages of life, okay? So there is no one size fits all. Everyone has to read their Bible for this long at this time of the morning or else you're not really a good follower of Jesus, okay? None of that, none of that guilt manipulation stuff, okay? In your season of life, You've got to figure out what does it look like for me, maybe as a student, maybe as a young parent, maybe as a single person, as a retired person, what does it look like for me to cultivate a life of meditating on, spending that specific time devoted to listening to God's instruction? But it's more than just thinking about stuff that's in the Bible, okay? Uh, Part of this is that we devote specific time to meditating on God's instruction, and part of this is that we filter every life circumstance through God's instruction, Okay, so in other words, Psalm 1 is not saying that we need to choose. Either you have to think about the stuff of your normal, everyday life, or you have to think about God. It's not setting up that contrast. It's not saying that you need to choose between thinking about these things and thinking about God. No, we think about our lives and all the things that we normally think about through the filter, through the lens of what we know to be true about God as he's revealed it to us in his instruction. So we filter all of these life circumstances. So let's go back to that hard conversation you need to have. And as you read God's instruction, as you read what's revealed about him in scripture, what you see is that he is gracious, that he is kind, that he is generous to us, that he treats us better than we deserve. And so when you go to have that conversation with that person, you do so having filtered that situation through God's instruction, which tells you that you, yes, you need to go in and you need to say maybe what's true. You need to uphold what's right. You need to uphold what's just. You need to uphold what's fair. And you also do so looking to affirm the dignity and the honor of that person as an image bearer of God. And so do you see how that changes? You filter your life circumstances through the instruction of the Lord and all of a sudden you realize God has been so kind to me He has shown me a kindness that I do not deserve. And so as a result, I'm going to, in my dealings with this person, even in this disciplinary conversation, I'm going to reflect something of the goodness and the kindness of God that he's shown me. Now think about the situation of you being in trouble. You know, when you're you're in trouble, you are tempted to sort of creatively retell the events so as to make yourself not look as boneheaded as maybe you should look. Okay, you're tempted to retell the events in a way that maybe make you look slightly better than all the other people who were there with you who were, at the very least, they were worse than you were, right? And the, the tendency is to try and, uh, you know, we, we don't call it lying. We call it telling, you know, bending the truth or telling a white lie so that we can get away from saying, no, we just, we just lied because we don't want to look bad, <laughs> right? And that's really the core of it is when, we, is when we go into those situations and we choose to lie, we're living out of a false identity. 
We're living out of an identity that says your value and your worth is found in your performance and how other people view you. But if we filter our lives in that situation through the instruction of the Lord, what we see uh, is something very, very different. What we see is that we are not defined by what we do. We are not defined by our performance. We're not defined by our sin or by our screw-ups. We are defined by the identity that God himself has spoken over us, that we are beloved sons and daughters of his. And so we don't have to lie because we don't need to save face. We don't need to have people look at us and and think better of, of us because we already have the approval from God that our hearts most desperately need. And so we filter our lives through the instruction of the Lord in this way. And with that argument, when someone has wronged you, you read the instruction, you read the law of the Lord, and you see how merciful he is and how forgiving he is. And you see that he has taken our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. And that now changes the way that you go into and view and deal with people who have maybe hurt you very deeply. If you've experienced trauma, if you've experienced abuse, you look at the instruction of the Lord and you see all kinds of examples of people who have been mistreated, people who have been abused in all kinds of ways. And what we see is that we have a God who will not let the guilty go unpunished. And we also have a God who will not let those circumstances define us, but rather he is able to take even those traumatic, abusive, unjust things that we may experience, he's able to take those and somehow make them turn out for our good. And so that helps us as we, as we mull these things over in our mind, as we think about them, we filter them all through the instruction of the Lord. Okay, does this make sense? Okay, uh, so we are not doing something in Psalm 1, meditating on things. We're not doing things, we're not being asked to do something we're not already doing, okay? So we are uh, filtering all of life's circumstances through the instruction of the Lord, and I think it's important also that we recognize that these, these two things are interrelated, right? These two things hang together. Because if we don't delight in God's instruction, if we don't love it, if we don't spend time reading God's instruction and what he's, his plan of redemption that he's given us in the Bible, if, if our minds are not filled with that and we don't know who God is, how are we ever supposed to rightly filter all of our experiences through what we know to be true? So we have to be people who not only spend that time uh, meditating on God's instruction in, uh, in intentional and devoted ways, that is so that we can filter all of our life circumstances through what we know to be true about who God is and what he is like. Now, I think it uh, should go without saying that no one accidentally stumbles into a life of meditating on God's instruction day and night. No one accidentally stumbles into that sort of life. This is something that takes work. It's something that takes intentionality. It's something that takes uh, a certain amount of effort. We have to cultivate this, which is why you heard the Apostle Paul say in this passage that you heard Mary read a few moments ago, he says to them, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He's saying, fill your mind with these kinds of things. Fixate your mind on these kinds of things. And in another place, he writes to uh, the church in Corinth and tells them, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. 
So what he's saying is your thoughts don't own you. You own your thoughts. You can't always control the thoughts that come into your mind. You can't always control the things that you find yourself mentally rehearsing or thinking about. But what you can control is what you do with those thoughts and how you make them submit to what's true about God and what's true about you because of what God has done for you. And so this is what we're being called to do here is to take every thought and make it captive to Christ, to devote specific time to meditating on his instruction, and to filter every life circumstance through God's instruction. And as we uh, bring this to a close this morning, I want to just ask you the question, which of those two things that you see up there on the screen right now, which of those two ways that we meditate on the instruction of the Lord, which of those most resonates with you? Which of those do you look at and say, you know, I feel like I'm actually doing pretty good in this one. You know, here's some specific things I can point to and say, hey, here's fruitfulness in my life in this area, uh, and that's great. So in what ways do you see I'm doing this well, and which of those, there's probably one of those where you say, you know, uh, that's clearly an area of growth for me. I, I maybe don't have any time in my life where I actually sit down and like read my Bible. I don't, I, I don't do a good job of filtering all of these things through uh, the instruction of the Lord. And so which of those do you find uh, you do well? Which of those do you find is an area of growth? And uh, third question, what are you going to do about it? That's where the rubber meets the road. What are you going to do about it? Whichever one of those you've defined as an area of growth, put something in place to actually start practicing it. So that's my encouragement to you is to... Um, discern which of those maybe the Lord wants you to focus on even starting this week and to put something in place to practice it. So this is what it looks like for us to have minds that are saturated with God's instruction, to meditate on his law day and night. So we devote specific time to meditating on God's instruction and we filter every life circumstance through God's instruction. Okay, now on to our announcement. Uh, I'm going to just read this. This isn't the kind of thing I want to just do off the cuff and be extemporaneous with. So I'm just going to read uh, this announcement for you. In November of 2018, Elmwood entered a season of revitalization, not knowing exactly where it would take us. People and resources from both Centennial Church and Park Community Church were sent to Elmwood, and together we formed a new church family with a renewed vision to reach people in our community. During that first year of the revitalization, we experienced difficult and significant change, which was followed by two years of a global pandemic. Through it all, we've seen God's work in incredible ways. He's brought new growth in season. He's brought us financial stability as a church. He's provided unity that can only be explained as a work of the Spirit and he has led us to be fully intergenerational as a church family once again. In the last four years, as Pastor Matt has grown and developed, he has clearly sensed God clarifying his ministry calling. Many of you know Matt's story. He grew up Jewish and came to follow Messiah Jesus in college. And since that time, his ministry experience has been exclusively in a Gentile, meaning non-Jewish, context. His Jewish upbringing comes out in his teaching and preaching, and our congregation has been greatly uh, blessed. We've just so benefited from this unique perspective that he brings. In the last year, Matt has been filled with a growing desire to bring the Jewish and Gentile aspects 
of the Christian faith together in a special way. Through months of prayer, discernment, and discussion with our elder team, as well as conversations with the North Central District of the Free Church and Chosen People Ministry, Matt has decided to follow the leading of the Spirit to plant a church community in the western suburbs of the Twin Cities that will bring both Jew and Gentile together in unique ways around Jesus Christ. On November 20th, Elmwood will officially commission Matt and his family for this new season of ministry, at which time his role as pastor of equipping and community development here at Elmwood will come to an end. The Fries will continue to attend Elmwood through the Christmas season all the way through December and then transition to Park Community Church where he will finish the church planting process. The location of Park uh, in St. Louis Park is ideal because there's a large Jewish population that's in that area and those are the people um, that he is attempting to reach uh, and the larger size of Park itself makes it a viable place to gather and train a core team. Uh, Our leadership team is unanimously uh, thrilled for Matt. Uh, We are without hesitation uh, thrilled to send him uh, to this work and at the same time we are sad uh, because we love him and we have been so greatly enriched by his ministry at Elmwood. Um, If Elmwood's your church home and we have your contact information, um, you'll be receiving a letter in the mail either Monday or Tuesday that has this this information in it uh, in writing but we wanted to tell you this face to face instead of just doing it in a letter and sending it out that way. Uh, We also know that this raises a lot of questions, and so what I want to do is just uh, take a couple minutes and sort of get ahead of some of those questions you might have. Um, Anytime there's a transition of pastoral staff, um, I think with the amount of uh, the visibility that we've been able to have in seeing moral failure in the church and abuses in the church over the last number, you know, decade in particular, Um, Every time there's a pastoral transition, at least in my mind, there's always the thought of like, okay, well, are they actually telling us the truth? Uh, Is this, is, you know, is it just, oh, this is great and convenient that Matt's going to leave because things behind the scenes aren't good. Um, But I just want to reassure you guys um, and make it abundantly clear that Pastor Matt has not been asked to leave. Uh, There is no internal conflict between Matt and any of our leadership team or staff. There's no question No question whatsoever about Matt, uh, his character, or his competency, or his giftedness. Uh, Matt has chosen to leave Elmwood to follow the call that God has put on his ministry, and our leadership team stands uh, in firm and unanimous support of him in that. Uh, The second thing, uh, just to say very briefly, is uh, Matt's not gone yet, but we've already started looking for his replacement. (laughs) And he's actually been helping us in that process, so it's not as bad as it sounds. so we're actively searching for someone. Uh, the area in our church family that needs an unfair advantage right now is our next-gen ministry uh, with our students and children, and so that's specifically what we're looking for is someone who can be the director of our next-gen uh, ministry who can help lead that area into uh, the next level of growth and development and effectiveness. Um, so that's what we're looking for. Uh, after the worship gathering today, uh, for about 30 minutes, we're gonna just hang around here and have a little bit of a time for question and response. So uh, we invite you to stick around after the worship gathering, even if you're not an official member of Elmwood. Uh, this is a great time for you just to uh, learn more about what's going on. Uh, so uh, about 10 minutes after the worship gathering uh, is done, we'll all gather right back here and have a little time of Q&A. Um, and in the months to come, if you guys have questions, uh, you can reach out to Brent. Uh, Brent is our church council chair 
Benjamin's our elder team chair, and uh, myself, obviously. So if you have questions, uh, they're probably not questions we haven't already been thinking about, uh, but we'd love to dialogue with you about those. And if you have ideas, whatever, just, uh, just feel free to let us know. Um, so in the next couple months, you can reach out to us, and uh, we'll answer any questions you have. So with that, I want to invite Matt to come up. And what I want to do is just have him share a little bit about his, this journey that he's been on, so tell us uh, just briefly about the sort of the, the journey that you've been on this last year leading up to now and uh, sort of your final decision to, to go plant final this church. Decision. Final sounds so final. Um, hey, guys. Uh, yeah, this is more bittersweet than I anticipated. I just told the students right before the worship gathering, and that was, that was hard. Um, yeah, so, so this goes back as... Uh, John had kind of alluded to uh, pretty much post-COVID. You know, as we, we came out of COVID season, one of the things that I think we all experienced was like the very thing that we had asked God to do, right? To make us into an intergenerational church, to, to create a, a new church culture within us, to, to see him bless that and start to reach the, the local community here. Like that was the very thing that he did. And it was incredible. Um, but, but also coming out of that and, and seeing Elmwood become a new church, there was also this dynamic uh, that was going on of like roles began solidifying and things played out differently that, than they had when it was like all hands on deck when we began the revitalization. Uh, and, and so if you know John and I personally, one of the things you, you start to observe is uh, we're different personalities and, and we do things a little differently, um, but, but our giftings tend to overlap quite a bit. And so as things began uh, solidifying, I started to see in myself this rising sense of, of discontent. And whenever you have a sense of discontent, one of the things you have to ask is like, okay, is this godly discontent? Is this the Lord kind of pushing you to the next season? Uh, or did Matt have indigestion, right? And, um, and, and so I, one of the ways that I've discerned that is uh, having conversations with other godly people in my life and saying, here's how I feel and here's the scenario. Um, and, and unanimously, they all said, yes, there might be a little bit of, of Matt in there, but, but we see this in you, and, and we see that uh, this looks like the next season of ministry uh, that you are called to step into. And so about eight-ish months ago, uh, after Holly had observed that this discontent was happening more readily at, at our house, uh, that we said, okay, I, I think it's time to take that next step towards uh, seeing what the Lord has for us. So uh, we kind of went on the, the journey that I can only describe as uh, uh, church speed dating, which is not my favorite thing on the planet when you're looking for a new pastoral gig. You, it, I know it's an awful way to put it, but it, it's kind of true where you're getting to know churches and they're getting to know you and, and, and you're seeing like, okay, is the Lord opened a door here and, and what is uh, the best fit? And so we went down that road, and we had a couple churches that would have been decent fits, but there was a sense there of like, okay, this isn't quite it, right? Like, there was not that stir in me. At the same time, Holly and I had been asking ourselves the question of, does my Jewish background have anything to do with this next season? And Holly was actually the one that said, well, maybe we're called to do something just completely different. And she didn't actually know what that meant when she said it, and maybe now she regrets that, but she had said it nonetheless. Um, and, uh, and so we, we kind of held that in our back pocket. Uh, some of my uh, my connections being Jewish is that is that my foot is a little bit in the Messianic Jewish community. 
And, and kind of in the midst of this journey, I had had the privilege to connect uh, with Mitch Glazer, who's the president of Chosen People, which is the, the oldest Jewish outreach organization in the country. And he had kind of tentatively lobbed um, a job offer in our direction uh, to move to Brooklyn, New York, to lead a congregation there. And that really was kind of shocking, but really made us think. Um, and we, dis we discerned that that was not a wise decision for our family and, and, and as next steps. But it did help us to see that we thought that there was going to be something there uh, when it came to our, our Jewish background, or my Jewish background. And, and so in the midst of all of this, this church speed dating and, and meeting Mitch Glazer and, and starting to ask questions and talking to godly counsel in my life, I started to ask myself kind of the, this interesting question of when we look at the scriptures one of the great hopes of the New Testament, especially in the Apostle Paul's writings, is that Jews and Gentiles can come together under a common Messiah and get along under the same roof. And what we've seen historically for, for years and years is that you, you have the Jewish community, uh, and some of them has come to uh, place their faith in Messiah Jesus, and then you have the, the Gentile-believing community, the non-Jewish community who has come to trust in Jesus, but they haven't always done church together uh, abundantly well, especially when it comes to integrating those cultures. And so I began to ask, like, if this is the hope of the New Testament, and, it, and, and if we read in Revelation that people from every tongue, tribe, and nation can come together under Jesus, and that's, that's the vision, like, is this actually viable that we could plant a church from the ground up that sought to be uniquely sensitive to the Jewish community, but also incorporated some of the sensibilities and the beautiful worship expressions that, that the non-Jewish uh, believing church has, uh, or non-Jewish church has been able to uh, cultivate through these number of years. And I came to the conclusion of like, yeah, I think this could be a thing. So I went on the journey of asking lots of people, hey, do you actually think this could be a thing or is Matt like losing his mind? And they said, yeah, I, I think that we could do this. And so, um, so through a number of conversations, the Lord has kind of really kicked a lot of doors down for us when it came to provision, when it came to opportunity. Um, and, and I think it really settled in to the point where Holly, as soon as this idea came into my head, she's like, okay, this is what we're doing because you're consumed with this. But, but also sitting with the elder team and them saying like, um, don't be ashamed that the Lord has perfectly positioned you to do this. And I think that that was... Um, a moment for me where we, we took that home and Holly and I c continued to discern it and then uh, early August we made that decision uh, right as we went away for vacation uh, to, that we were going to pursue this. So um, God willing, the, the goal, and we'll be able to answer more questions during the Q&A, uh, is that uh, we'll be hoping to launch this community uh, September of next year. So um, that's tentative timeline. Uh, as God provides, but that's kind of the short version of the story. Yeah, that's great. Thanks yeah. for sharing that. Yeah. And as, as Matt said, uh, you know, as he was talking with other people and our elder team and chosen people ministries and everything, for those of you who've known Matt for like 10 minutes, you know that like this is like his thing. When you, when you hear about this, you may be surprised by this announcement because you didn't know it was coming, but when you sit there for a couple minutes, you're like, no, I'm not really all that surprised because like this is exactly how God has wired Matt. That's exactly how he's designed him. And uh, there's, there's part of me uh, that really feels like, you know, I gotta get out of Matt's way. Um, there's, there's a kind of flourishing in ministry that God has ahead for Matt that he can't experience here. And so uh, I gotta get out of the way so Matt can uh, experience 
experience what God has for him. And no one here has any questions about Matt's competence as a leader or as a preacher or as a pastor. Uh, and so it's hard, uh, but it's also just really clear that like God is, God is in this. And so we want to just be obedient to that. And uh, we want to do that knowing that it's hard. Um, so I'm going to, uh, just as we come to the communion table today, uh, Matt, you can go ahead and grab a seat. Um, as we come to celebrate communion today, I want to just uh, sort of practice what we've been talking about, uh, which is trying to filter all of life's circumstances uh, through the instruction of the Lord. And so we've got this circumstance of, okay, the fries are flying the coop, as it were. They're spreading their wings and going out into what God has ahead for them. And so what does it look like for us to filter that through the lens of God's instruction? Uh, a couple things that come to my mind are, uh, as we read God's instruction, as we read, um, as we come to know God in the Bible, what we see is that God's heart is for all people, as Matt said. And so this is a unique, uniquely beautiful ministry opportunity for Matt that, that embodies that all people uh, coming together as one in Messiah Jesus. Um, so God's heart is for all people. Uh, second thing that we read in God's word uh, that should filter through our understanding of this is that sending is hard. Sending is very hard. Uh, if you read Acts chapter 20, where the apostle Paul is leaving the city of Ephesus after he's been there uh, as one of their pastors for a number of years, uh, what we're told is that as he was leaving, as a part of their departure, they all knelt down together on the beach and they wept together uh, because sending is hard and saying goodbye is hard. Uh, also, we filter this through our understanding that God loves his church. God loves his church. He loves Elmwood. He loves this new church that's not in existence yet. And in his sovereign goodness, God has things ahead for Matt and for this church community that are beautiful and redemptive. Uh, God loves his church. He's gonna provide for Elmwood. He's gonna provide for this new church community that's being started. And so we don't have any questions about that. So in, in the midst of it being hard, we say, yes, it's hard, and also God loves his church. And lastly, we can read God's word and see that even if we are in different places, we are part of the same family. Uh, no relationship is broken with Matt. Um, Matt will, I'm sure, come back at times and will preach for us, this time as a guest preacher, which will be kind of weird, right? <laughs> but he'll, he'll come back as a guest preacher. He will, you know, he'll, he'll be in roundabout ways throughout the life of our church family still. Uh, th this is not a see you later, we're never gonna talk to you again. You know, there's no bridges that are burned. Like, Matt's leaving in such a healthy way. And uh, so we get to experience uh, the unity that exists, even if we are not together in the same room anymore, uh, we still belong to the same Messiah Jesus. And as we uh, come to the communion table today, that's one of the things that we get to remember and celebrate, is that we are united not by our geographical location, primarily. <laughs> we are united because we are together in Jesus. We are together in Messiah Jesus. We're united in Christ. And so that's the, the beautiful picture that's held out for us is that communion is not something we do, it's not supposed to be done as individuals, right? Communing with someone it requires more than one person. 
And so we get to, as we do each Sunday, just remember and celebrate that God has brought us together into one family. And also in a unique way today, we get to remember that even if that's as a part of a different church community, uh, we're still a part of the same family. And so we love Matt and we're excited for what God has ahead of him. We come to the communion table today and